0: Uh, finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you found an episode of the podcast, particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know, someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up, reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school, like I am, drop me an email detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and take care. I try to make sure that the conversations that I record for the purpose of this podcast feel as complete as possible. But the truth is that there are a lot of times I talk to folks, and we could go on for hours, we could potentially go on for days. And, I mean, of course the conversations continue privately, but even when we're recording things specifically for detox... The 45 minutes to an hour just feels like not enough so we try to bring people back that I have particularly good conversations with and this is one of those episodes uh because when I hit stop and start editing it ends a portion of a conversation but doesn't necessarily end the entire conversation so such is the case when it comes to my friend Johnny Gonzalez better known as Grammy-nominated songwriter and musician Yanni Blue, Uh, y'all enjoyed our first conversation a lot, uh, enough that I had several requests for uh, he and I to run it back. So, we are running it back. I wanted to talk to Yanni as well again. In this conversation, I guess it's about a year since the previous one we had, uh, it finds Johnny getting ready to hit the road. Uh, He's uh, doing it Kerouac style, uh, going up north and into Canada, and uh, traveling through parts of the U.S. as well in search of clarity, inspiration, and community. Uh, We talk a little bit about the purposes behind that trip and uh, what his expectations are we also talk about being a creative and maintaining proper mental health and how those often feel like mutually exclusive pursuits even though they shouldn't be uh we chat about the work that we still have to do on our individual journeys and uh, so much more there's a lot packed in here and i really really hope you enjoyed this conversation so here is part two of mike and yanni and of course, because the way that I normally start these is by having my guests introduce themselves, and you've done one of these already. I don't know if you want to reintroduce yourself, or I should be introducing you, or whatever, but you kick it off. You tell us who you are again, and also, actually, no, I'll let you go ahead. You start, and then I'll pick it up from there.
1: Okay. Um, right. Hello, my name is Yanni Blue. I'm a singer-songwriter from the Bronx, New York, now a nomad. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So I got to say, I did a little survey a couple months ago and asked which of my guests people most want to bring back. Okay. And a couple of people mentioned you. Oh, shit. (laughs) That's really
1: cool. Yeah. I appreciate that. Shout out to them.
0: Yes. Not only do I personally enjoy talking to you, but the people out there in podcast land, like hearing your voice, they like hearing about your experience.
1: Okay. I appreciate y'all. That makes me feel really good. I've been enjoying doing podcasts and, and speaking more. So it's nice to know that people are receiving that well.
0: Yeah. So you got to tell me about this nomad thing. We talked a little bit about it before I hit record, but you are traveling up North, Well, you're on the West coast currently. So Northwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what made you decide that you wanted to do this nomad thing for a minute?
1: So yeah, the last couple months have just been wild. I, I got out of a relationship last summer and kind of got left with an apartment (laughs) so when that was done it was just like go to another apartment or try something different and me and my friend have been just talking about traveling and creating as we travel we've done like two trips together where we made music and, and potted and stuff so it just kind of felt like a natural direction so to speak and I work remote so it just is like how many other times in life could I do this so, I'm gonna do it as long as possible. Vancouver is the first end point, and then I'm down to just keep going until something sticks. Go east, go south. Okay. Are you
0: looking for places to maybe settle, or are you just like, I wanna see the country? Well, Vancouver is not even the country. I wanna right. see other places.
1: I am open to possibly settling in one of the cities if it speaks to me, but I, I think I just <laughs> wanna kick off a moving phase of my life. So eventually like getting out of the country and just kind of bouncing around, even if I do pick a city, just having that muscle of, okay, I'm used to being able to travel now, just kind of working that muscle. Cause I don't travel as much. I'm usually back and forth to New York. That's about it. So I want to move around more.
0: I feel like a lot of people, particularly young people and a lot of people of color as well, are thinking about, or actually doing the nomad thing. That seems to be becoming more of a commonplace thing recently. Yeah. I don't know why that is. I mean, if I could afford it and if I didn't have a job that held me in New York City, I something I would probably think about as well because there's a lot of this country that I have not seen. I don't necessarily want to be tied to one place. Exactly. Um, But what is it about traveling
1: that appeals to you the most? So in high school, I got to go on two study abroads Oh, and yeah, nice. and those really change, like they say, you leave when you travel, that it, it, it reprograms you. It unlocks things. It makes you realize shit. So I honestly wouldn't even be doing music without studying abroad because that was what sort of made me realize how much shit was possible. I was in China at 16 years old, just by myself. And I was like, well, if I could do this shit, I could do anything. And I literally came back from China and started looking for people to do music with because that was something I wanted to do and I hadn't started yet. So. Traveling has always just inspired me. And I work remote. Like I said, I'm in a phase now where I don't feel tied to L.A. I'm coming out of a lot of situations where it just feels better to put distance. So traveling feels like the right thing to do. And leaving the country is expensive. So it's like you said, our country is beautiful. But right. the politics ain't shit. But the country's <laughs> beautiful. Why not move around?
0: That's what's up. I, I, I agree with you there. And we're coming out of Pride Month. And I think it was a a joyful time for a lot of people. But the reality is that a lot of queer folks are are very much disenfranchised, very much under attack. The Supreme Court has been on some bullshit as they end their session, rolling back affirmative action in colleges, rolling back the ability of queer people to be served or, or treated equally in business settings. So what has your pride been like? Are you even a person that celebrates pride?
1: Yeah, I do, especially since becoming an artist and releasing music, I've become more involved in Pride. I mean, this is our time of the year. If you are engaged in the community to really amplify your voice and take advantage of everything that's going on. So Pride has been great. I kicked off Pride Month probably actually at the end of April. I kind of felt like my Pride season started. I did a queer cafe here in LA. I did Hotel Cafe. And from there, I've just been doing different events. And yeah, Pride Month has been good. I went to WeHo Pride. Okay. And uh, I enjoyed myself. It was great.
0: So New York Pride is, each borough, I think, mm-hmm. has its own pride. I know there's Queens Pride and Brooklyn Pride. I don't know if there's a Bronx Pride, and we don't count Staten Island. So I was about to
1: say, imagine like, a Staten Island Pride. How gross. I, I
0: don't want to imagine a Staten Island Pride. That would be some weird-ass shit. That'd but be kind of brilliant, like,
1: actually. Like, can they, they chop a Wu-Tang record or Old Dirty Bastard record <laughs> and make it a vote beat? <laughs> That would be brilliant. I'm going to commission that. Uh,
0: there is a Staten Island Pride Fest.
1: I'm going.
0: Wow. That's crazy. So, <laughs> sidebar. <laughs> Does LA, like each like neighborhood, I don't even really know how LA is sectioned
1: off. Yeah, it's not so, boroughs, but it's like different cities, I guess. Yeah, because there was a West Hollywood Pride, and then there was a LA Pride, then a Long Beach. So, there were different pockets of pride, but I only went to one.
0: Okay. Yeah. And- What is that like? Because like, again, my experience with New York Pride is that having been to only big New York Pride and then Brooklyn Pride, Brooklyn Pride is kind of like a street fair. People come out, they got their strollers, they're kind of rolling around. There's booths and people selling shit and there's charitable organizations and all that stuff. It's very much a street fair vibe, whereas Manhattan Pride, New York Pride is just a hot mess. (laughs) Gigantic parade, tons of people everywhere, that whole thing. What was WeHo Pride like?
1: So it's an actual parade okay. down, I think it's Santa Monica. There was a street fair component on the other side of the street. So they shut down like one way for the parade. And then the other side of the street was like street fair energy. WeHo's interesting. I mean, it's, it's West Hollywood. So it is not as diverse, but I had a nice group of people with me where it didn't bother me that everybody else didn't look like me.
2: <laughs>
1: I had a really good time. Like I had a really, really good time, but nothing beats New York Pride. And if you're a real New Yorker, nothing beats the Halloween parade, which is really a real Pride parade.
0: The Halloween parade, I, I went to that for the first time when I was maybe 15 or 16, and my aunt and uncle took me. And it was eye-opening. Yeah. That minimizes it a little bit.
1: It's insane.
0: Yeah, and it's just like to explain it to somebody who's never experienced it. You get the people walking around with whatever popular costumes. It's because I'm old. I thought Bart Simpson, but
1: he's timeless.
0: Yes, exactly. But there are some people that go all out.
1: Yeah. My first year, I saw a guy with a dildo mohawk. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: For half a second, I was like, "What is that?" And then I got the mental
1: picture, just and I was annoying, like, just, "All right, uh, yeah, yeah." yeah. Pr- Halloween parade. Actually, that was my introduction to the village. So I really was about same. the same age, 15, 16, same. and I went down there with a group of friends. And they were my straight friends. We all ended up being queer, which was great. But um, at the time, we had no idea. And I I remember the duality of leaving the Bronx in costumes and dodging eggs to get down to the village and everybody's voguing. And it's just like, yeah, that was my life.
0: Yeah. Right. And for people who are not from New York, because I think eggs is a specific thing new york thing is it i think it is because when i lived in boston i never heard of that and then when i lived in michigan i never heard of that either but when i was in junior high school in brooklyn if you live in the hood you are dodging in new york city you are dodging eggs on halloween and for a couple days before and a couple days after
1: and honestly eggs is the better part of things you can dodge on halloween
0: right seriously
1: there's gang initiations there are all types of other shit but eggs is like if you get egged on halloween so right. It's, it's probably the better option.
0: When I lived in Michigan, houses got egged, but people didn't get egged. They had Devil's Night, which was the night before Halloween, where they would just egg houses and shit like that. But they never, like, hit people.
1: Yeah, no. In the Bronx, they trying to hit you. Yeah. They trying to yeah. hit you, yeah.
0: You do not wear your nice clothes to school that day? No. Because your shit is going to get messed up.
1: yeah no. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> You're right. That, that feels like a very specific thing to new york because it's like you have to be up high in a building to throw because they're on the fire escape just tossing eggs into the street
0: yeah i think trauma yeah fireworks are kind of the same like fireworks in new york city probably start a week or two earlier than they do the rest of the country
1: right yeah they're probably already going off the fourth of july
0: it's been not what i'm gonna knock everything i can find it's been chill okay so far strangely because usually it's crazy like june 20th it starts getting crazy But it's only been... I've only noticed it one night so far. Okay. Which was like two or three days ago. But usually people be wilding. So it's a little strange that it's quiet. And I'm like, am I speaking some shit into existence now? Right, right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And everybody's got like a four-day weekend because I think everybody's got Monday and Tuesday off. So tonight, watch. You're going to text me later like, oh, yeah, I I jinxed myself. Damn it,
0: damn it. You know what I'm saying? I love that there are... Things that are so very New York City specific. And I, every city or every town probably has things that are specific to them. But uh, between the eggs and Halloween and the parade, this is a very New York conversation right energy is
1: so different. I, I mean, I can enjoy a holiday everywhere, and I, I'm sure I'll have fun on Fourth of July here. But it's different in New York. It's different in the hood. It's different with the hydrants open, with the people barbecuing on the street. It's different.
0: Yeah, I mean, even summertime as a whole is is different between things you said block parties new york has a very specific energy and do you miss it actually now being out on the west coast
1: so the last two years i've been back and forth more than usual and for longer periods of time uh-huh. so i was just there in may for my sister's graduation last year i was there for about six months and i'll be there again in september so not as much as i used to and now mom, am because I, I grew up in the bronx my mom's in downtown brooklyn now or I guess it's Fort Green. So when I'm there, I get the most bougie New York experience I could get. I soak it up. I will walk the entire fucking Brooklyn Dumbo I'll across the bridge. So by the time I leave, I'm like, all right, I got it out of my system. Enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So not as much as before.
0: All right. I, I'm now struggling to remember what we talked about during our first conversation for the podcast. Because I'm like, I know there's shit that we need to follow up on. Okay but I don't remember what it is. Um, Hmm. So I'm just like, what's new? What's different? What's going on in your life aside from the nomadic stuff?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know
0: that you're doing still the podcasting on the side. Yeah. But how's that going?
1: It's going well. So basically, I don't remember when we last spoke, but the biggest thing that I've been doing for sure is transitioning to more B spaces. Like you said, people wanting to hear me talk has been interesting because I know I had a lot to say, but I didn't know people really cared. So... (laughs) As I've been sharing my experience in the music industry, my experience just being a queer man and everything that I've learned, opportunities have opened up for me. So I moderated the MLC panel last week, which was great. They did a pride panel. I've been doing different things, my podcast, guesting on other people's podcasts. So that's kind of been the biggest thing has been still being an artist, but shifting towards being a talking head, I guess. I don't know what the (laughs) right word, what the right term is.
0: Being a thought leader.
1: Hey, I like that. Yes. I I needed that two days ago when I was updating my resume. A thought leader.
0: (laughs) Hey, you can still update it. Thought leader.
1: Thought leader. I feel like that. I'm owning that.
0: You are, and you should own it. When we last spoke, the backline thing had just started. Yes. And I'm curious if you've received any feedback from that or if you've received any recognition for being a part of that.
1: Yeah, so the video that I posted and that they posted got a ton of views, A lot of people have reached out to me. Shout out to Tara Lopez, who's been connecting with me. They did a songwriting panel two or three days ago and I popped in like a mental health for songwriters. Oh, And I just left a question in and when she saw my name, she's like, we love you, Yanni, and I was like, oh, that feels good. It's dope, yeah, it's been really cool tapping into those spaces and just realizing. The way I look at it is I don't necessarily have anything to offer people. I am doing my journey and just kind of hoping that we can meet somewhere on the way. I'm not trying to preach to anybody. I'm just like, hey, this is what I'm learning. (laughs) And hopefully that connects with what you're learning. So Backline was dope. I would love to do more stuff with them. Uh, Nothing in the pipeline yet, but I want to talk to people. And especially music industry-based stuff. I've been actually doing some stuff with the 100%ers, just going to their different events and realizing just how shitty the industry is for songwriters. And connecting that to my actual experience and understanding like, oh, I wasn't crazy. I was actually being gaslit and fucking robbed blind. Like, (laughs) so.
0: And it's not just shitty for songwriters. I think maybe people have a more realistic view of what the music industry is now because people can talk openly about it. Mm -hmm. But really the people that make money in the music industry is like a 1% kind of thing.
2: Yeah.
0: And I think there are still people who have this illusion that they're making records, they're making songs, they're making music, they have this talent And they're like, okay, well, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then I'm going to be rich. And all I have to do is make music. And I don't think there's ever really been a proper explanation of it, but I also don't think that creative people understand that there's a whole process Mm There is a business and it requires you to, even as an artist, to be invested in the business part of it. Because if you concentrate just on the creative and don't concentrate on the business, you will get robbed one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even just the rights that are in place. I mean, here's the thing I'm realizing. I came in professionally about seven years ago. I've been writing since I was 16, but my professional career started seven years ago. And I fell in with people who had been making money for 10 plus years before that. So they came in when there was just way more money to begin with. So there's right. a lot less money now because of streaming. And I think a lot of people are just unwilling to to grow and to evolve so that they can better take care of business. So I was just falling into situations where. The songwriters have essentially no rights. You're showing up for free, you're writing for free, your song's on hold for free for years, and then you're hoping if it comes out, it does well and you get paid. Right. And I happened to fall in with a producer who was like, hey, look, if you just kind of hold me down, I'll pay you out of my production deck because he would get paid up front, which was great. But on the flip side of that, it really limited the amount of places I was able to go because it's like, if I'm only getting paid here, I kind of only can create here. And when it was over and when that relationship kind of fell apart, I realized, oh, like there's kind of no career for me now because nobody else is going to pay me. And my whole catalog is tied up with this one producer. Mm. So just understanding that and trying to figure out ways to move my career in different directions so that I don't repeat the same mistakes, don't get jaded, and also finding ways to teach other people so they don't fall into the same things has been at the forefront of my mind. I haven't really tackled it to the extent that I'd like to, but I think as I'm on this road trip, that's something that I'm really going to pour into. Like, how do I pivot so that I can really have a lifestyle and just save other people from getting caught up?
0: You mentioned a little earlier about how you're not trying to preach. And I think a lot of people, (laughs) I was saying this yesterday, sometimes when I say a lot of people, I mean me. (laughs) I think that there's, this misconception that you have to know everything about something before you talk about it. Mm -hmm. I personally find the most value in people just talking about their experiences, where it's like, look, I don't know everything about this thing, but I know everything about the way that I experienced this thing because I experienced it. And I think it's super valuable. That's ultimately what this podcast is about. You hear other people's stories and You try to relate that back to your experience and you find common ground and you're like, oh, well, maybe there's this different way of thinking that I didn't think of before because this person went through the same thing and they got through it this way. Mm -hmm. So the point is that I think it's really important for people to just share their stories. Like you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be a thought leader. You don't have to be, be any of that stuff. You can just say, hey, I experienced this. This may apply to you. And if it does, take that and make your own decisions based on that. I think that's that's so
1: important. And that's something I've been reflecting on as I've been doing panels and noticing people sort of dodging questions with that guise of like, well, I'm not an expert on that. And it's like, you don't have to be a fucking expert. You could just be a human being with empathy. And like you said, share your story. You don't even have to be empathetic. Just share your story. And then we'll find the middle ground. But. So many people are scared to speak and and not realizing that's what we need the most. Because if we don't understand it, then let's expose that we don't understand it so we can understand it. Or if you right. have a, a conflicting point of view, share that shit. Because how are we going to find out, how are we going to get to the middle of anything?
0: Right. I absolutely agree. People got to talk about stuff in order to understand it better.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah, I've been noticing that a lot. And, and I think that's why it's so beautiful, especially during Pride Month, specifically having conversations, because as we know, so many people within our community don't get platforms often. So you're hearing stories for the first time on some of these panels. People are speaking for the first time. A lot of the panels and discussions I've been a part of, I'm hearing people say, wow, nobody ever asked me that, or I've never got a chance to tell my story. So you're getting the first row seat to a brand new story and just kind of understanding like, okay, like there's a different way to look at this. Like I said, even with with songwriting, I knew that I didn't have the best experience, but I didn't understand how universal that was until I went to 100 or Pride event, and they spoke and was like, okay, that's not just me. I don't have the exact same story as so-and-so, but I went through similar shit.
0: It's crazy to think about, and I don't know if any industry does this other than the music industry. You go all the way back to the 50s and 60s, artists were getting jerked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the 70s and 80s, artists were getting jerked. I, I was watching a documentary recently about TLC. I guess they have yeah. a documentary that they produced themselves. Mm -hmm. And T-Boz and Chili are talking about how between their management deal and everything getting charged back to them and them having to recoup, they came off of selling 10 million records for Crazy Sexy Cool, which you can't do nowadays. Mm -hmm. Like, no one is selling 10 million records anymore. And for the young people, this is when you had to, like, get up off your ass and go to a store and spend $15 on a CD or $10 on a cassette. I mean, 10 million records is probably, like, $100 million in revenue. Mm Mm-hmm. At minimum, and they were broke.
1: Yeah. There's like, the Capitol video of, of uh, Left Eye breaking down how they got yeah. broke. It's one of my Bro. favorite videos because she does the math and they have all the little numbers jumping around her head. And yeah. She's breaking down. We stayed with X amount of money. I think they gave them like free cars or some yeah. shit, but yeah, no money.
0: Yeah. So after all of that recording and making a record and doing all this, I think they were left with like $90,000 each or something like that, which in 2023, in, in 1995, it wasn't a lot of money. It wasn't a ton of money. It wasn't what mm-hmm. you would expect a multi-platinum recording artist to be making. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2023, that's what you would expect a lawyer maybe to be making, if that. Yeah. It's not a ton of money, and it's not commensurate with what you would think. So here we are in 2023, and artists and songwriters are still getting jerked. Yeah. And I, I wonder what the reasoning behind that is why with all of this knowledge people are still getting financially taken advantage of and what can people do to make that not happen
1: right well i mean the music industry is is by nature an industry that exploits people so that's the foundation so that sucks and then you look even deeper into the rights around songwriting and why we can't unionize and why we're considered independent contractors where we can't really negotiate anything and even when we do, we're discouraged. So writers are discouraged from asking for a fee just to show up. Labels aren't even paying for your Uber to get to the studio or for lunch while you're there. But producers do get an upfront fee if the record is chosen. So sure. trying to, to clear that up and make that make more sense for everybody is tough because, like you said, if the 1% is benefiting and they control everything, you're going to keep it a certain way. But, so I think creating more education for people, I think it's an industry, again, that attracts a lot of people. I don't want to use the word desperate, but dreamers can be a little extreme. Like I moved across the country for this shit. Right. So it's creating better communities for people to be educated and more people just taking a risk and doing something different. I really am doing what I'm doing this summer and kind of pivoting my life in the hopes that I could create a more sustainable career and inspire myself so that I can show other people there is money in sync and licensing that we can have access to without dealing with the label or merch or whatever touring i'm trying to figure it out for myself but i think the most important thing is just getting people educated because you talk about mental health in the music industry it's depressing how many executives have committed suicide how many artists have committed suicide how many people are fucking broke and it's sad and so many situations that i've been in the mindset has always been just keep going just keep going nobody's ever told me to check in right like, i remember i was fully in the middle of a breakdown last summer right? i Ended a relationship. I moved back to New York. And my main collaborators, who I was in a group chat with every single day, nobody ever asked, you okay? How you doing? It was just like, meme, joke, maybe a song update. But nobody genuinely cared to say, are you good? And that's the culture. Just keep going.
0: Yeah, that's kind of fucked up. (laughs) That's really fucked up. Yeah. If you have this tight bond and people aren't, to me, just off GP, in most cases, I'd be like, oh, hey, how you doing? If you're in my circumference on a regular basis, every once in a while, I'm going to shoot you a text and be like, yo, what
1: up? That goes to just the way that men are taught to connect. Right. Especially men of color. We're not used to really being able to check in on each other like that. Right. Within that friend group, I saw us experience some, looking back, some pretty extreme life changes from children Deaf's in the family, one of them moved across to the other side of the world. And we didn't have real conversations about how are we doing? They were very general, very vague. So looking back, I can't be surprised when I realized that when things would go wrong, there wasn't a lot of grace extended because as men, that's not what we do. We bite down, we grit our teeth, we push through, and then once in the blue, we explode, curse a bunch of people out and then go back into hiding.
0: Right. Punch a wall.
1: Yeah. So I, I was definitely in a lot of those relationships and everybody does the best they can with what they have. But going forward, I would definitely like to build more open creative relationships because this industry is tough. So you need to really be able to check in. Like, how are we doing?
0: there's so much, there are so many different components that tie into a potential disruption in mental health, right? Like creative people, I think are more inclined to have some sort of mental health challenge. Right,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I think the need to be famous in and of itself speaks to something that
1: 100
0: might be latent, but also I think is related to wanting to be seen for the reason that maybe that didn't happen when you were younger, and you just have this desire to be seen, to be heard, whatever. So mm-hmm. I think just the want to be famous is sort of a I don't want to say it's a mental health challenge, but it maybe speaks to there being something. In, in, in the, right. Yeah. I'm trying not to say that. Like, no, I don't want to necessarily
1: be seen as a negative. but It's true. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a negative. My favorite thing to say now is just like, what's the why always? Because I might've wanted to start music at five years old because I wanted to be famous. But now at, at 33, my why is different. Like, It's not about fame as much as it's like, I really have something I want to say. I want to connect with people. And always asking myself, I may not 100% know why I'm still moving in this phase, but again, that's why I'm going on a trip and I want to connect to a a why that's tangible. I remember first getting out here and making music with people. And as people talk, everybody tells themselves after a while, you start to register, oh, this person's only doing this because they're the only one that got out of their neighborhood. So that's their why. Like, i got to let niggas know I made it to LA, but you're not doing anything. Or my parents told me I couldn't do this. So now I'm in my mid thirties and I'm still trying to prove my parents wrong. And it's like, we got to have Better motivations, even if that's what got you started. What's the why now? Because I think talk about being famous, being a mental illness. It's true. That's not a long term. That's why Kanye West went crazy. Super talented, but if at one point all you want is just to be famous, there's only so famous you could be, right? Right. So you drive yourself crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he's predisposed. So there's that as well. Yeah, but also I do think fame is a fucking drug, right? And if you keep chasing that high, eventually you're going to break down. Yeah. You know? So between the wanting to be famous and being a creative, and then the life of a musician, where it's like, in a lot of cases, you don't have a home base. You're kind of going from place to place to place to place. You don't really have a center. You got a lot of people who want, who if you're a success story on the way up, people want to be a part of that. So you get a lot of Mm leeches that jump on and then you have this mental conundrum of like, are these people my friends for real? You worry about who your people are, your family starts acting brand new, people start getting weird. It's just this storm
1: of things. And rejection. I think rejection has been my biggest kryptonite. I thought I could handle it a lot better and I did for a while, but I wasn't processing. And and rejection just as far as getting those from labels Right. The amount of songs I wrote my first year in LA, I placed three records, which is a blessing, obviously for my first year on Empire, but I wrote about 200 songs that year, Damn. those three records. And I didn't get paid till a year later. So it's just like, those numbers are nuts. Nobody should do that long-term. And some people are doing that year after year for 10 plus years. It wears you down after a while. And like I said, the rejection aspect of it, you really just start to question, are you any good? what the hell am I doing? So that was the biggest thing for me when I finally had a breakdown last year, which is I was tired of being rejected. And I think that's why releasing music as an artist has been healing for me because I'm the boss. This is the song I wanna put out. I think it's good. I like the pictures. It's helping rebuild my confidence. and like, oh, I do this. I'm good at this. It's just that everybody's not gonna see it. Every song isn't gonna work. That is the truth of the game, but I don't think I was fully prepared. So that was the thing that really fucked me up was rejection. There's so much
0: subjectivity involved in the enjoyment of music. I mean, there's subjectivity involved in everything. I mean, you could even tie that back to relation. Well, not necessarily relationships, but whether people find you attractive or not. Everybody's taste in everything is different. And look, no expert on this. All, as someone who has certainly dealt with his share of in various ways, it's kind of like the philosophical way to take that in to be like, okay, well, my shit is still dope either this person isn't seeing the vision More. or maybe me and this person just are not on the same wavelength. It's nobody's yeah. fault. It just is. We're not meeting at the same place at the same time.
2: Yeah,
0: But I do think that in a lot of cases when the rejection is repeated or when you're an artist and your success is predicated on doing certain numbers, having certain people do this, having a certain amount of IG followers, having a certain amount of monthly listeners on Spotify, that will fuck your head up if, yeah. if the numbers aren't going where you want them to go.
1: Yeah, and they're all bullshit.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's all arbitrary. There's so many factors that come into play. I think we all know this. Like There are people who don't sell any records that a lot of people find more interesting than The Weeknd or Taylor Swift yeah. or whoever. There's so many factors that go into making something a chart success or a right. financial
1: success I mean, our personal success which is where i think it's supposed to count like you said there are artists who maybe don't sell records but can tour and see the world and that's enough or have a successful merch line or have a successful podcast or whatever or they sync really well there's a million other ways to measure success the thing that i'm really honing in on is picking the ones that make the most sense for me and really just validating myself outside of all of that other shit. because if not you will go crazy because I've gone to meetings for Instagram, for TikTok, for all these social media sites, even for podcasting. I went to a KCRW event last weekend where like, they gave you rules, but then they also all said, we also don't know how the fuck this shit works. Everything's kind of like, yeah, if you want a successful TikTok or podcast or do this, 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 and this, and also don't do any of it. And also, we don't know. There's free pizza. Yeah, we (laughs)
0: don't know. And when you chase shit, you just get caught up. I'm thinking about Michael Jackson, right? And he made Thriller. Best album in history, whatever, and then kept trying to remake Thriller.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So just kind of chasing something that didn't happen for any particular reason, other than a lot of lights clicked on at the same time, which was right. completely random, right. and to an extent, really had nothing to do with the music.
1: No, it's perfect timing, you know? perfect storm.
0: And I think when you try to chase that success, as opposed to being like. I did the best I could possibly do at any given time. And I rock with this, mm-hmm. you do end up kind of going crazy, case in point.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to get away from all of that.
0: <laughs> I, I, I think that's a really good thing to do. It's funny, you said something a few minutes ago that kind of hit me in my thoughts a little bit, where you had said something about people uh, wanting to become famous or wanting to go into music to impress their parents, or as like a rebellion mm-hmm. against their parents. And as someone who is kind of contemplating career shifts right now, I'm thinking about it. I heard when I was a young person that, I mean, I don't know if I, I heard it specifically or if it was implied, but I know that my elders wanted a more practical
1: career. dr course. Yeah, same.
0: So first born person in the country, they're like, this motherfucker's is going to be a doctor. He's going to be a lawyer. He's going to get straight A's, blah, 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 blah. And that stuff never interested me. Music always interested me. And I think part of the reason I ended up going into the music industry, and I've been in the music industry for so long, there's a little part of it that is like, okay, y'all said I couldn't do it. I did it, and Mm -hmm. I did it well, and I've done it for a long time. And now I'm like, okay, I'm 47. It's time to do something else.
1: Right, and why not? (laughs) Why the fuck not? I I think that's beautiful. And it's funny, That's what again, that's why I'm going on the trip. I have a million ideas of things I want to do, but the biggest things that's been coming up for me as well is this idea of still being a dreamer after the allotted 20s and still wanting to do career and life's pivots? And I don't know if it's just being a person of color, because I've seen white people switch careers a hundred times and the most random shit. Yeah. Oh, the white lady will go run a farm and then go run a company and then go play violin. Liquor in my bathtub. Right. But for some reason we pick one thing and it's just like, let me just do this until I'm dead. And it's like, I would love to to hit it a million times, and you can always come back to shit, but it's like, I want to do a bunch of things, but I don't see enough of that. So I love to hear you say that, because it's like, now I'm, I want to watch how you do it, and and, and I want to see more of that, because again, a lot of these careers, they're not lifelong careers. The music industry is still a young person's game. After a certain age, you're just like, this is a lot. Every year, we got a 15-year-old that just is, is a fucking protege or something. Right. Kesha was saying the music industry is the only industry where you get better at your craft every year, but you're less and less valued. Right. And that's the truth. Some musicians are 20 years plus the best in their fucking life at making music and and we still hold them to that one album they made at 15 or 16. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's beautiful to see and hear people wanting to still dream for shit and still wanting to make pivots after 30. It's fucking possible. Yeah. So, and Absolutely I want to see more is. of it.
0: Absolutely is. I want to circle back to something you would, when you were talking about you going through the things you were going through and not really feeling like you had support from your crew and how masculinity plays a role in that. And I don't remember if I asked you this the first time, but even as a queer person, I think some people, and this is really some people, because I don't necessarily think this. I think that there is another misconception that, Queer men are exempt from the toxic masculinity box. Mm-hmm. I think some people have that idea. And I do think that my queerness has, like if I wasn't queer, my journey to accept that patriarchal thinking that, that toxic masculinity is something that exists, it, my journey would have been longer. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I grew up in a very toxic masculine environment. I, you know, I feel like I kind of straddle a bunch of different worlds because my friend group is not exclusively queer. So mm-hmm. I still kind of get some of that toxic straight dude energy. But your sexuality doesn't make you exempt from, it doesn't mean all this, like you're not born with feelings and being able to kind of break through all the shit that just dudes in general need to break through. Yeah, uh, no, we're you can not still exempt carry at all. A lot of yeah. And there are some people that would say that gay men are actually more toxically masculine than, than straight men.
1: I could definitely see that, especially when it comes to the dating sphere, the ways in which we choose men and the ways in which we like to present ourselves. For me, what I realized, and it's so nuanced, I don't think there's, there's one answer. In my specific experience, what I felt was I, because of my experience being queer and being a creative, being a songwriter, being in touch with my emotions, I'm very articulate. I thought that I could give other people that tool. I thought because I had this ability, I could share it with my friend group, which at that time, it was myself, two straight men, and another queer man. So it was mixed. It was half and half, essentially, down the right. middle. Um, right. But again, I thought because I had access to those tools, I could share them with the group. And a lot of times, I felt like I was being too emotional. Am I just sensitive because I'm the gay one? I had that struggle of like, like I'm like, hey, guys, you can talk about this stuff, and it's cool. And it just kind of gave, no, Like you're doing too much. And like I said, this is a group of people that I spoke to we talked all day long. Communication was terrible because we would talk all day long and still all show up late to a session or not know what day it was. So just bad communication because we're not really saying anything. We're just sharing memes. we're talking shit, we're complaining, but not actively communicating. And I remember, and it's funny because I listened back to the music and I was even writing about it. Even songs that weren't even for me, just demos, but it was coming up in the music of me feeling misunderstood, feeling misrepresented, feeling like I wasn't being heard. And I'm in the rooms like, hey, guys, like this is not making sense to me. And nobody would hear me. So looking back, I have to take accountability for myself and the tools that I have. Because I know that no matter how much I thought, as much as I thought that I was speaking up for myself, I, I probably could have done it a lot better. Right. But you learn. Yeah, I think there is that conflict. of As gay men, we are expected to be a little bit more in touch, some of us more than others, with our feelings. And even then, as masculine presenting men, we might still show up to these rooms with all these emotions and be like, I don't want to be the bitch that says how I'm yeah. feeling and like, Oh, here comes Johnny to complain. And yeah, I, I used to feel those emotions a lot.
0: Yeah. I'm even thinking about that in terms of dating, right? Like my dating profile says straight up, I'm looking for a connection first, sex later. Mm-hmm. Right. So my assumption is that the people that reach out to me are going to read the profile and be like, okay, Here's what this dude is looking for. I'm not going to come at him with something different than that. Mm-hmm. So this was maybe a week or two ago. I'm getting pinged. I'm looking. I'm talking to people. Within like three back and forths of the conversation, all of them turn to like, yo, so do you like to suck dick or sending a dick pic or something like that kind of coming from the other person? I'm like, yo, who is reading my program? How did this happen? And Challenge. I- yeah. And I, I remember talking to a female sex educator and she had said kind of the same thing years ago, people present a certain way to gas you up a little bit and then they fling the dick kick at you. Yeah. And, and it's so disappointing. I think she called it low quality dick or some shit like that. Uh, I apologize, but it's just like, how do we get to a point where we value things like communication? Whether it's in interpersonal relationships or dating relationships or familial relationships or any of that stuff, what do we need to do collectively to step our game up in that regard?
1: Shit. People need to just listen more. I've turned to over communicating. I don't even like the term over communicating because that sounds negative, but I'm going to say how I feel all the time. And at this point, I'm at ground zero of life. I'm rebuilding my friend group. So it's like I have nothing to lose. If I feel like being honest about my emotions is turning somebody off or pushing them away, then it's for the best. That's kind of where I'm at because everybody's got their own broken record going on in their head and, and they're half listening and everybody's got their own agenda. So you have to almost have a fucking flashing sign on your chest of who you are at all times to just kind of make sure you're matching with the right people. It's tough. I have in this last year really leaned into just talking and I'll have the same conversation 20 times at this point. I don't care. The right people won't get annoyed, but it's like you have to. I like that you said with like family relationships, because that's where we all learn love and we learn how to communicate. So when I started learning tools to communicate better, I automatically took them home. I was with my mom and my sister and learning with them because that's where my foundation is. So if I can get my mother to communicate better with me and, and respect my boundaries, then everybody else can kiss my ass. Because at this point, that was the hardest person to do it with. So if I can get her to do it, everybody else can do it. And I've been really learning and it's a give and take, but I think just being unwavering in what's important to you, I think is what I'm learning. And it's not always easy.
0: Life's not easy.
1: No, it's not. How
0: how do you at
1: 33 create new frameworks? Ah! (laughs) (laughs) By not creating them. No, what I'm learning is it's not going to look a certain way right? And what I'm learning is the word friends is tainted for me. I think connections is more important. Hmm. I think the word friend, tainted is a bad word. I think the word friend implies a a lot of different things for me. Like I moved around a lot when I was younger. So when I finally settled into a school, I latched on to my best friends. Everybody was my best friend. I wanted to be Boy Meets World so bad. And because of that, I, I didn't have a lot of boundaries with friends for years, queer friends, straight friends. So coming out of just being in a space now where I'm rebuilding, I'm understanding that it can be a million different things. I consider this a great connection. I don't talk to you every day, but I value this connection. I can have this space with you. We have transparent conversation. This is probably one of the better conversations I'll have all week. So why Thank not you? value this? Yeah, of course. Oh, why, I why am talking about you. Right, I'm talking cool. about you.
0: Yeah. I like, am I being presumptuous? No, I'm <laughs> not talking about you.
1: But I'm saying that's a valuable connection. And there's understanding to pour into those spaces and it doesn't always have to look a certain way. We haven't even met in person, but like I said, I still value your connection. Likewise. That's what I'm learning. Just value solid connections there. And I feel like I have more people in my life like that than ever before. So even though I only talk to a person once or twice a month, but if I'm having a real good conversation or we're pouring into each other, that's all that matters. So to answer your question, how am I creating new friend groups? I think I'm just going to focus on pouring into good connections and see what happens over there you time. Go.
0: There you go. And you live in a place where there are a lot of people. So I feel like it's probably easier. And you work in a creative field where networking is a really important part of the game.
1: Yeah, I hate it so much. But
0: are you not a networker? You're not a schmoozer? As,
1: As social as I am, as articulate as I am, I get into certain rooms and I just shut down. I'm staring at the floor. I'm just uncomfortable. If it's my event, it's a little bit easier, but I don't know. The last couple of things I've gone to, I just kind of go to my seat and just wait. And I'm not good at just approaching people. So, I'm trying to get better at it.
0: I, I feel when it's my own event, I'm a lot more comfortable. When I'm in charge, I'm rel- not relaxed necessarily, but I'm kind of like, "All right, I I know everybody here, so I feel pretty comfortable in that mm-hmm. realm. If you put me in a room of strangers, I think there's a part of me that's going to schmooze just because automatically my brain, I feel like that's what I'm supposed
1: to do. Mm-hmm. But I'm internally going to feel very awkward. Yes. I hate it. Yeah, I've been trying to get better at it. I'll, I have a whole process before I go in the room. And then oh. like the last three events I've gone, yeah, I'll sit in the car, I'll take breaths, I'll do all of that shit. But on okay. um, the last three events I've gone to, actually, no, the last three times I've tried to go up to people to introduce myself, somebody randomly always intercepts the conversation. <laughs> It's the most uncomfortable thing. Where it's like, then they don't even say "excuse me." They just show up and like, "Hey," and they just start talking to the person. And then I just kind of like, "All right, I'm just gonna." I'm a shrink. I'm a be homer in the bushes. Yeah, that's me. That's too funny. But again, Um, I I think being a a thought leader or shifting into that space is making it easier for me. Because if I'm in a room where we we, we're there to have a, a real exchange or a real conversation, it makes it easier for me to open up.
0: And I think when you put yourself in places where you're speaking about things that are vulnerable, people are going to lock in with you and be more apt to have conversations that are more than who are you? What do you do? You know, that kind of thing.
1: What can you do for me? Which is what a lot of networking feels like.
0: Right. It's, It's very transactional that way. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I'm gonna ask one last question. And what are you most looking forward to on this trip of yours? What is your number one thing?
1: I'm most looking forward to surrendering to whatever's going to happen. I have an issue with control. I have Mm. control over every aspect of my life. I think it comes from growing up with a single mom who's very controlling. So I think I've taken on a lot of her traits as an adult. She's going to hate me when she hears this. But (laughs) I'm looking forward to surrendering. I'm looking forward to just kind of being out in the wild when I am in the wild and just being free and even different cities. And I'm looking forward to creating. Dope.
0: Dope. Of course, of course, I want to thank Yanni for taking the time out of his schedule, particularly when he was getting ready to hit the road to uh, sit down and talk with me for a little bit. I appreciate you so much. And if you want to know what's going on in the world of Yanni Blue, there's no travel diary, unfortunately, at least I haven't seen one. So maybe we'll record a part three where he tells us uh, all about his travels and how those went. In the meantime, though, you can find him on the socials at Yanni Blue. That is Y-A-W-N-Y-B-L-E-W. Yanni also hosts a podcast, uh, co-hosts a podcast, it's called Bigger Than Our Dreams, and it is bigger with two eyes. that is b-i-i-g-g-e-r than our dreams and you can find it at bigger than our dreams pod so once again b-i-i-g-g-e-r-t-h-a-n-o-u-r-d-r-e-a-m-s pod on instagram so make sure you check that out as well thanks again yanni safe travels Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, Once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, Follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as DetoxPodGuy. Uh, you can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill, or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, rate, comment, comment help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings. Uh, follow me on social media. Like I said, uh, follow our Patreon or subscribe to my Patreon. Actually, patreon.com slash detoxicity pod. You get access to exclusive episodes. You get episodes a little earlier than the general public. You get a cool ass sticker, lots of stuff. Once again, patreon.com slash detoxicity pod. Quick shout out to Calvin Williams for providing the music and, uh, doing his magic on the logo, which was originally designed by Jacob Block. I thank you all for listening. I wish you all the best. Please take care of each other. Till next time. Peace.